I want to talk about, as we, as we, Jason led us off last week and, and started us into Lent, he had this new, this theme that, that we're following uh, through the Lent season, which is addition by way of subtraction. Everybody know it's Lent? Does everybody know? I mean, the tradition I came from, we didn't do that. We had no Lent. I don't, it was just like whatever Easter finally came. Uh, so we didn't do that. But, but, but the Lenten season is something that the Methodist Church uh, follows, and, and we follow the lectionary, which is a, basically a set of passages that, that lead us through this season. And so we're finding ourselves in the second week, second Sunday of Lent, uh, in Luke 13, 31 through 35. And it's a very short passage, but in order to do it justice, I feel like, or, you know, I felt like when preparing for this that I need to give a brief synopsis of what the rest of the chapter 13 looks like. And so, but let's pray before we do that. God, just give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, a word from you this morning in which we can glorify you with our journeys. And that's it. Amen. Love you, God. All right. So uh, here's my paraphrase. First part of Luke 13 is this. Jesus is in Galilee, okay? Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem, eventually to the Passion Week, eventually to uh, the Last Supper and to the cross. And he's going to be betrayed and all the things. And he's being, he's being pestered. Uh, this never, I mean, this is always happening with Jesus. He's, he's being pestered by the Pharisees. It's what they do. And Jesus is healing, and the Pharisees aren't happy about that because he's healing on a Sunday. And he's telling parables about mustard seeds and yeast and narrow doors. And he's telling some of the followers that even though that they say they know God, God doesn't know them. And Jesus wraps up this whole section of teaching by saying, the last shall be first and the first will be last. And this had to rub those that thought they were first pretty, you know, it was pretty, pretty bad. Uh, the Pharisees it had to rub them particularly wrong because Jesus was telling truth to power. He was speaking truth to power. So then we go on with today's text. So Jesus has just said, the last will be first and the first will be last. And here we go into um, Luke 13, 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. I think that's pretty tongue-in-cheek, but I, anyway, we'll let, we'll let him do it. He's Jesus. Then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the, the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I've desired to gather your children together as a hen her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Always set your phone to silent. Jason's texting. Um, I'm going to tell him real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Um, how did the first round go, he said. My little, my little cheerleader from over in the UK. Um, anyway, where was I? What did I just say? Oh, I'll just finish reading. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus just said that. So um, this is something that, uh, that, that Jesus is facing a lot in this passage right here. If, if you think about it and you, you reread it, he's, he's facing possible fear, rejection, negativity, intimidation, resistance, discomfort. These are all things that, that Jesus could have been feeling. 
He could have been sensing as he was talking to the Pharisees and the people that were gathered around, as they always were. And likewise, these are the things that stop many of us in our tracks as, we're, as, we, as we want to share what we know and the truth that we have and the good news that we, we, we trust and believe in. Many of us have tasted realities of, of disappointment and, and fear and whatever as we live out our realities, and in particular in the faith world with our family and with our friends. I don't know about you, but I mean, there's so much, there's so much negativity that, that, that it, it we face as believers. There's a lot, a lot of times fear. A lot of, for those of you in the LGBTQ community, sometimes there's a fear of walking into the doors of a church building. There's a, that's, a, that's a real fear. And then we have these resistances, whether they're from without or from within. Sometimes our family, sometimes our friends or our coworkers or people we know. There's just this resistance that we, that we face. And these trials. I don't know. It's, it's not like somebody's always threatening us with our lives like they're doing in the passage here with Jesus. Or for us, you know, we, we're not threatened because we follow Jesus. That's, that just really doesn't happen much in our world. But for some reason, many of us have these aversions to sharing uh, what we believe about God, about faith, about your church's alliance with the LGBT community, about how we feel about Ukraine, and the list goes on. For some reason, we just shut down. Things we, we, we're, we don't feel comfortable sharing. And people need to hear this kind of stuff from us, I feel. Not just from me, not just from Jason, but from all of us. We talk about the gospel since the meaning of gospel is good news, these are things that connect people to the gospel. These things, how we feel about the Ukraine, I'll tell you in a minute. It's literal good news to know that your church is open and affirming, that your church celebrates every life, that your church believes in and loves immigrants, that your church's table is open to all and your pastors do gay weddings, that we care about issues of justice and these are good news to people. You will certainly draw ire from some people, for sure. We, I mean, stick around. You'll, you'll draw ire from some people, a lot, a lot of time Christians. But if you'll notice, Jesus' life over and over and over and over again, that's who Jesus drew the most ire from, was from the religious, from the establishment, from those in power. But he pressed against it every time. I think it's time for us to be bold. I think it's time for us to be deliberate about about what we, what we believe. Too much is at stake not to. Lives, faith. People are leaving the church in drove. People are losing their faith in God, in the church, and in people, really. They, don't, they honestly don't know people like us exist. They don't know churches like ANC is out there. We've been quiet too long. And Jesus didn't look, he didn't back down when confronted by the religious at all. And if we're followers of Jesus, then we should probably take our cues from him, I think. In this instance, we should take our cues from him. Well, in all things. Friday, Friday afternoon, I sat in my, uh, my favorite cigar lounge there in Buda, Texas. I didn't know if you know Buda has a cigar lounge. We do. You're welcome, that's free. Um, and this woman struck up a conversation with me about the Ukraine. And she was almost in tears. And after a few minutes, she asked me what I did for a living. And I told her. I used to lie. 
I used to tell people I was a logger. And, I, you know, I look like a logger. So I told her, I was, anyway, but I told her the truth. And then the funny, funniest thing, she leans in, she goes, are you progressive? And I was like, well, I, I am. I certainly am. And I told her what that meant to me, since it's kind of sort of, you know, subjective. How we serve the margins, how we believe that queer folk are created in the, and designed in the image of God, and how their, their marriages and lives can be holy, and about our open table. And then she turned to the friend she was with, and she told her. That was good news to her. That's what good news does. It travels. So she turned away and started talking to somebody else, and then her friend, who she just told, came back around and asked me, and she says, so tell me about, tell me about your church. Tell me about, you know, whatever. She, you know, she wanted to know about thoughts on the Ukraine. She wanted to know about how we, we serve the margins and, 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 you know, why I'm smoking a cigar because I'm a pastor. I mean, she, she asked me, all, you know, it's like that. I'm like, well, because I don't, anyway. Ah. Anyway, after a few minutes, I, I let it know and I had to be getting home. And the first woman asked me to pray for her. And she said that she didn't want to lose her faith. But it's been super hard lately. And I agreed with her. I said, these, these past several years have been hard. They've been really hard. And I told her that I would. I just, I, y'all, we have to be bold. We have to be bold. We have, we, we're, we are, we have this good news, we know. And it's not limited to just a chosen few of us. It's something that we should share. That's what the gospel does, it travels. People are losing faith, they're leaving church, they're losing connection with, with other people that are following Jesus because, I don't know, it's just I, too much bad news, I guess. People just need to know that Jesus loves them and there's nothing weird about the conversation we had if it was totally organic. She started it. I didn't start it. It's my job, right? But I didn't start it. I'll tell you one thing, it's not like this. Show that picture, Trace. This is me um, in Times Square two weeks ago. And uh, I thought when I told Jenny to take this picture of me with that guy's sign, um, and I, I, at the time, I just thought it was a silly picture. But to, considering what we're talking about today, I think it's very important because this guy right here with the sign, he's being bold and deliberate, is he not? I mean, that sign screams. He's being bold and deliberate. But how are we supposed to take this news? Scroll down to the bottom. The end is near. Y'all, if the faith tradition I grew up in, that was the thing. The end is near. Turn and repent. I agree. I agree. Jesus forgives sin and saves and repent. I, I agree with those things. But fear is not the answer. Good news is the answer. The church I grew up in, the pastor used to say, you have to get them lost before you get them saved. You've got to tell them bad news before you tell them good news. I just, I, I don't believe that anymore. I think we live good news, we live it out, and let the good news do what it does, which is travel. I think that's what the good news does. It's not forced, it's just deliberate. 
In these verses that follow, we see Jesus actually receives a warning whether the, in whether the Pharisees are being adversarial or not. They tell Jesus that Herod, by the way, the one who cut your cousin's head off and served it on a platter to his daughter, that Herod, he wants you dead too. And you better be leaving town because he, he wants you dead. I love how Jesus flips the script here and he said, telling the Pharisees to go tell that fox. Go tell that fox what I'm doing and I'll be finished when I'm done. Basically, that's what Jesus says. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm healing. I'm casting out demons and I'll be done when I'm done. Go tell that fox. That fox is an interesting choice of animals because we all know the reputation of foxes. They're conniving and they're sly and they're carnivorous and they're nocturnal and they're sneaky, but they're certainly no lion. They're not lions. See, the real lion in Herod's world, the king of the jungle and the top of the food chain was Caesar. And Herod knew this. The sort of threat, this sort of threat from Herod might work with some people, and the Pharisees may well have been uh, putting Jesus on blast and possibly being an ally at that moment, telling him, you know, Herod wants you dead, you better be moving. I don't know. But Jesus was certainly throwing shade at Herod in this and making sure that the entire audience knew Herod's place in the pecking order of the Roman Empire. He was merely a fox. He was no lion. Jesus recognized, he knew this, he knew his healing and casting out demons was certainly threatening to Caesar's kingdom, and he also knew he was threatening to Herod's limited power. If Herod were to allow this uprising to go further, if he were to allow Jesus to keep gathering and, and bringing in more people and casting out more demons, this thing was certainly going to grow, grow beyond what he could contain, because good news travels. And he might find, Herod might find himself on the wrong side of power. You know, Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem was one he knew he would take. Although he knew the ultimate end, we know the anguish, you know, we, we read about it later in the garden. We know the anguish that this caused Jesus, but he was resolute. And it was in his resoluteness, resoluteness that Jesus found his strength that he knew he wasn't, it wasn't his time yet. And in the next verse, Jesus says, Jesus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is a, a well-known literary tool that I forgot the name of. Somebody said an apostrophe. Does that sound right to y'all? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. A teacher told me that on the way out the door. That's called an apostrophe, just like when you apostrophe S or something. I'm like, okay, well, I did remember it. I didn't think I would. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Is a sign of lament or deep emotion or sorrow. Basically, Jesus is mourning the loss of a town, a town that he loved, not for the buildings or the temple, but for her people. The city that kills its prophets and stones anyone sent to it. Certainly the emotion here is not anger. Now Jesus is feeling deep sorrow and sadness. He seems to be begging the city to be turning from its murderous ways and the destruction that's imminent. Then Jesus goes on to show a motherly type of affection that he refers to Jerusalem's people as a brood of chicks. He wants to gather under his wings and nourish and protect and cherish like a mother hen would do her chicks. I found this quote from a British evangelist named G. Campbell Morgan that said, and this was 18th century, he said this is known as the mother heart of God. Jesus said, I'm telling you all this because I love you, because you're unwill but, but, but you're unwilling 
See, the problem with Jerusalem wasn't Jesus, it was the people. And then Jesus goes on to say, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Scholars believe this is pretty clear here that Jesus is referring to his second coming when the Jews will finally see him as Messiah and welcome him with blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which brings us full circle back to the theme for today, this addition by subtraction. We're clearly in a heightened time of awareness for, for followers of Jesus in this Lenten season as we near Easter. Some folks, I don't know if you're Catholic, if you went and got your ashes, some folks are fasting at this, at this time of year. They're, they're fasting in order to, to maybe hear more clearly from God. And this slowing down, this deliberate slowdown of everything to just get, a, get, a, get something clear from God, to, to hear from Him. I don't even know if slowing down in today's world is an option. Seems like it's impossible to me. But whether you're fasting or not, there's a sense of waiting for something better. If you grew up in the tradition I did, just all of a sudden Easter came. We didn't do Lent, like I told you. We just, boom, Easter, it's calendar. But this is, this, the, the United Methodist Church and the Catholic Church and so many faith uh, backgrounds do this and observe Lent so that there's just a deliberate slowing down and paying attention to and listening and hearing from God. The, here, the, the near and not yet. To usher in God's kingdom on earth as is in heaven. But that's the reality we live in daily. For those of us that say we're followers of Jesus, if we're following Jesus, that's our, that's, our, that's our, we're trying to live out this kingdom of God in the here and now. But I think maybe this season is a reminder for many of us that many of our neighbors don't. Many of our neighbors don't live in that reality. They're missing good news because the, the, per, the, the purveying news of the day is mostly bad. And I think it'd be nice to hear good every now and then. I think that's what makes it so unique. As we consider our neighbors, as we consider the Ukraine, as we consider COVID and inflation and job security and all the things that tend to weigh us down, it's easy to overlook the season we are in unless we're deliberate. I would say now more than any time in recent history, as people are considering spiritual things and how that relates to them, that we need to subtract the fear that grips us in order to add in the good news that we have and know that travels. That good news is that Jesus is loving, that Jesus is inclusive, and he is gracious. And be bold with that. And that her desires to love, nurture, and protect us under her wings with her mother heart. Don't withhold that with somebody because you're a little apprehensive or, or afraid of rejection. Don't be intimidated. Lean in. It's good news, folks. It's good news. Like I said before, this isn't on whoever's up front here for the week. It's not on me. It's not on Jason. It's not on Laura Merrill next week as she comes to teach us. This is on all of us. This, there are people that we're in contact, there's people you're in contact daily that I'll never see in these doors, but you still know the good news. And you're in contact with people daily who are spiritually disoriented. I don't say lost, I say disoriented. And we're ambassadors of this good news. Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem and the cross because he loves us and he won't let fear, rejection, discomfort, even death deter him. He just won't. 
There may be some in this room today who are giving church or God one last chance. We've always been that church. I've always, we've, I've always hear from you. You've, you're giving it one last chance. And uh, if that's you, thank you for taking a chance on us today. It's a huge honor and responsibility and one we don't take lightly. Just know that Jesus loves you. Just know that. I also know there's people hurting with past church trauma sitting here this morning. And maybe you just need to snuggle up under the wings of Mother God. There's no rush. You can take all the time you need. People and institutions have failed, and they fail us all the time. Church is no different. But Jesus loves you just the way you are. And his love never fails, and he never gives up on us. Will you pray with me? God, just want to um, thank you for this kind message for us. Thank you for just that image of a mother hen. Thank you for your protection, for your mercy. Thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that we, we muster up any boldness that we have. Don't make it weird, but just, just that we can share this, this hope that we have inside, especially in this season. Father, you, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.